You're listening to Coming of Cage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Coming of Cage podcast. I am your host, Derek, and I have got my partner in crime, Ryan, with me. Hello. Hello, hello. This week, we are discussing the 1987 film Moonstruck, starring Nick Cage and Cher. She actually gets top billing in Moonstruck from 1987. And the way we've been doing this, if you don't follow the show, welcome. Welcome to the Coming of Cage podcast, where we discuss every movie Nick Cage has ever been in uh, by random selection. And I'm sure we'll talk about a TV show if he ever shows up in one. There's a couple in the works. And this is episode 11, and we're talking Moonstruck. And what Ryan does is he takes notes when he watches his movie. I stuff my face with popcorn and snacks, and Ryan takes diligent notes. And then we go through those notes and discuss them. Yeah, that's accurate. I will say this this movie didn't have nearly as many notes as a lot of other movies. Um, I think because, well, I mean, just to get it out of the way, I enjoyed this movie quite a bit. I had never seen it before. Me neither. Um, so this is our first time viewing. So, you know, it may be a well-known movie to other movie aficionados or romantic comedy enthusiasts, but for us, not something we'd seen before. But I very much enjoyed this movie, So, and I was having trouble uh, finding notes for it, but I, I did find some. But I do, real quick, before we get started on Moonstruck, I did actually, and this is a true story, not making it up, I did have a dream this week, and I something I don't talk about much is I have a little dream journal where I write out, you know, to keep track of the date and dreams that are out of the ordinary. Like, I have some dreams that are recurring and whatnot, and I don't really keep those, uh, you know, in the journal. But I did have a Nick Cage dream this week. I don't, didn't remember it super well uh, when I woke up, but I remembered enough of it to at least have a semi-readable uh, small paragraph a couple of sentences whatever so i would like to read that please uh this is on september 25th 2022 uh i was on a ship of some kind and president biden showed up on the ship like a boat uh, like i don't know if it was an airship or a boat but, okay uh because he wanted to talk to me about recognizing my worship of nick cage as a religion by the government <laughs> Later, I got to meet Nick Cage and tell him about the podcast and how our rating system work works and how his movie or his movie that was the biggest surprise to me so far. Which was what? Which was at, at the point I had this dream uh, was uh, it could happen to you. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but that may have changed with Moonstruck. So, Ooh. but yeah, that, I just thought that was a fun little fact, little thing. If I have any more Nick Cage dreams, I'll make sure to share them on the podcast, assuming that they're uh, safe for work. Well, I have a question, if I may. Sure. So, are you were you running this Cage religion? Like, was it your religion? Is that why Biden was? Talking I, to I don't. You? I don't really know. Uh, okay. I just know that we were on a ship, and <laughs> for some reason, the president was there to talk to me about it. So, I assume I'm a high ranking official of some kind in the Church of uh, Cage, the one true God. But uh, you know what? Uh, dreams are dreams, man. I have. I can't fill in many more blanks than what I've told you, other than just like assuming things, because. I literally wrote down everything I remembered about it. 
Well, that's fair. It does go to show just how important this show is to your subconscious. I mean, (laughs) I honestly think that I wouldn't have had that dream without this show, which isn't necessarily a good or bad thing. Like, I think it's a good thing. It's just a thing. But uh, it it shows that my mind has been somewhat focused on uh, our one true God lately and his his meaning in my life. So, uh, you know, that's fun. Yeah. You weren't there though, Derek, which I oh, thought was a little disappointing. That's sad. I know. I, I figured you'd be my right hand man. Well, maybe I was steering the ship. You probably were driving. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Okay. Sad. Well, I that was that was that. I just wanted to uh, <laughs> I just wanted to throw that out there because I thought it was fun. No, it's it's very interesting. So yeah, so Moonstruck, uh star Cher, Nick Cage, and is directed by Norman Jewison, who uh, also directed the original rollerball which is nothing like Moonstruck and the hurricane, which is also nothing like Moonstruck. Uh, So, you know, this, this feels like a little outside of his normal kind of drama, dramatic, intense realm, but nonetheless, we're here. Cher is the reason Nick Cage got the role. The studio did not like his test screenings at all and did not want him a part of the production, but Cher did. She loved him. She really wanted him for the role. Yeah, yeah, I heard that it was something she watched one of his other movies and it was like watching a two hour car accident. She said <laughs> that's literally like what she something along those lines, what she yeah, said uh-huh, uh-huh. as why she wanted Nick Cage. Which I mean, if that doesn't describe what it's like watching some of these Cage movies, then I mean, I don't know what does. I will say that this is the youngest I've ever seen Nick Cage in a movie, and he looked great, didn't he? He's a handsome dude in this movie. He was thinner though, like he gets jacked in the later 90s. He was pretty jacked in this movie, but it was more like cut. Yeah. You know, like Very a like a slim wiry yeah. type of guy. Yeah. yeah. But I know I'm gonna go out and I'm just gonna say it. I think he became more attractive as he aged. I think he's a better looking guy later. Just that's me. Fair enough. I mean, that's personal preference. I definitely see the appeal of, of a younger Nick Cage in this movie, too. He was definitely very handsome and uh, yeah, yeah. a good leading man look. All like sweaty and glistening in the bread oven basement. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I, before we get too deep into it, I also want to say that I had no idea. Like, so I had seen some clips from this movie, um, some of the more extreme KG moments, but uh i i didn't know anything about what this movie was like i didn't even read the uh like what what the the fact that it was a comedy Mm -hmm. um i was expecting more of like just a straight up romantic comedy like notting hill or like you know something like that it was like like more seriously romantic right and less comedy this i could not figure out like it felt like more of a straight up comedy to me for a lot of it and so uh you know i it was it was just very jarring not going into it not knowing i didn't watch trailer i didn't really know anything about it even the clips that i had seen i didn't know were from this movie well right so like so i had seen the extremely famous share clip of smacking a guy and saying snap out of it right it's an iconic shot right everybody knows that scene it's even in like the top 100 most influential movie scenes or something like that and I didn't know she was slapping Nick Cage. So that was a fun surprise. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure my, my mom would be very proud that I finally watched this because she always loves Cher. And the description on HBO Max where I watched it didn't really help prepare me for the movie because this is how HBO describes the film. 
Cher, so not her character name, Cher goes from frumpy to fabulous as a widow living with her family in Brooklyn who falls into a full moon romance with Nicolas Cage. Yes, I did <laughs> read that ahead of time. And so I was like, okay, good description. A good description, I guess. I'm not really sure, but I guess we'll get into it. And even like IMDb's description isn't that great. So, I mean, the, I don't know that people, I feel like people didn't know how to categorize this movie. Because none of yeah. the descriptions really do it justice. Right? Maybe it's just, it's it's been around for so long and it's so iconic that people are like, yeah, everybody knows what this is about. Yeah, like nobody's searching for Moonstruck unless they've seen it before. Except for us. <laughs> Except for us, apparently. <laughs> and I will say that it's at 7.1 out of 10 on IMDb, which I feel like is pretty low. Yeah. In my opinion, based on what I saw. Yeah. But we'll probably, maybe we'll get into the ratings and stuff later. That's fair. Um, okay, so Moonstruck. My first note is when the moon hits your eye, because that song I probably heard in like 30 different movies mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's very rarely a good sign. <laughs> well, according to uh, the notes, that was a replacement. They had a different song in that I guess people really didn't like. And so they replaced it with something more iconic. It's not that I don't like that song. It's just like overused, I think in movies it's definitely used a lot maybe it wasn't overused in 1987 uh, in 1987 yeah that's fair. right yeah. um and it threw me off for a while like until nick cage mentions the opera i had no i couldn't understand why that song was in the movie at all yeah that was well weird. there's a lot of stuff in the movie that i still don't understand why it was in the movie but <laughs> i'm sure we'll get into we'll that get to it. yeah but that song, I think the first song, funny fact, I think the first song, uh, time I remember hearing that song in a movie was, I think, Grumpier Old Men. Hmm. You remember ever see that movie? No, I never saw that one. Okay, yeah. fair Sorry. enough. We won't get into that. Okay, my second note is Dick Hyman. This is the name of somebody in the cast that pops up during the opening credits. Oh, like someone's real name? That's somebody's actual somebody's name actual in the name. opening credits. And I'm not to, not to make fun of somebody's name. Uh, Dick Hyman, if you're still around, I'm sorry if this offends you, Richard. But uh, yeah, that was just funny to me because I'm eight years old, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I missed that. I'm not sure who. It popped up in big letters on the screen and I immediately wrote it down. So. Okay. Oh, the music. They, he did the music. Yeah, there you go. Dick Hyman, you did a great job on the music. Yeah, he, he did the music. He's no... I hope you had a long and beautiful career <laughs> in Hollywood if you're still alive. Oh, man. <laughs> I was gonna pull up his IMDb. I feel like but... I feel like Dick Hyman broke a lot of barriers in music uh, with this with this film. Penetrated just in general, penetrated a lot of uh, force fields. Wow. Let's Not move to... on. Okay, move sorry, on. I could keep going on yeah, that. We're but move on. You're you're the real dad in this. You should be coming up with the dad yeah, jokes, no, not me. But the, no. okay, we're move on. Um, this guy looks like a mortician. He was and... a mortician. Yeah, he was a mortician. But I mean, like, if if you, if you just showed me a picture of that guy that was a mortician, and I actually, when I wrote that note, thought he would be a bigger character in the movie, but he wasn't. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he showed up, and if you just showed me a picture of him, I would have said that guy's a mortician. That was basically what I was getting at. Yeah, because like the at the beginning of the movie, we get to see Cher, uh, Loretta is her character's name. And I guess she does, like, accounting for several small businesses, including a funeral home and a florist. Maybe they know each other. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and I guess her her aunt and uncle. As yeah, this well. is kind of our intro to, or like our beginning of our intro to the character. Yeah. And I want to say I am 
a little disappointed that Cher didn't do more acting because I, I thought she was really great in this. Yeah, she did a good Overall. number of movies in the 80s and the very early 90s and then just stopped. Apparently, I haven't seen many uh, of them, but I, this was, I think, my first movie I've ever seen Cher in, and I thought she was wonderful, mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, my next note, I think, happens. So we get a scene coming up with uh, her soon-to-be fiancé yeah. on a date. And he's talking about a guy that that, that is uh, that comes back later in the movie um, that has a fight with a younger girl in this like really really f- fancy restaurant. Mm-hmm. The dad from Frasier. What is it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I didn't watch much Frasier. Yeah, uh, John John Mahoney. Yeah. But uh, I have seen him in other stuff. So I mean, I did couldn't pinpoint him though. Maybe that's where I saw him from. But uh, he he makes a comment that he this guy can't control his woman and it's embarrassing. And I was like, nah that's not great yeah i was waiting for loretta to react to that in some type of meaningful way and then me too i guess later in the movie you find out that she's kind of just kind of resigned to her position and she's kind of given up on trying to find love and things like that because her husband so she's she's a widow right her husband died he literally got hit by a bus and so she believes very much that she has bad luck and I, i think just later we're supposed to be like oh okay she just this is just her life and she's accepted it. Right. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the, in the, this movie that's like that. That's just unexpected that that's a thing that happened in this universe. And uh, I'm sure we'll get into that here shortly. At least one big one, but um, yeah, her ex got hit by a bus. And so she's a widow now. And, but now her fiance, Johnny, like he's just, he's a bit of a putz. I mean, like... you know what? The, the, here's the thing though. Like, so the whole basis of this movie, spoiler alert, is that she like meets Nick Cage's character and falls in love with him or whatever, and they have their ending. But really, the uh, he's not that bad of a guy. I mean, that comment isn't great about Kate Controls One, but throughout the movie, he's not a terrible guy. He's not like a wonderful boyfriend, but I mean, compared to a lot of other movies that we've seen with Nick Cage in them, i mean where everybody is a kind of a piece of crap this one he wasn't that bad really and actually nick cage's character was kind of a turd in this movie he was great and i loved him don't get me wrong but yeah. he was like uh, he was not a good person no johnny is just kind of a, a sap a kind of you know kind of a putz and yeah i mean that that remark that he makes is probably the worst thing that he does yeah. in the movie um but he like he's just he's he's not very thoughtful either so like we're at this restaurant and he's gonna he's proposing to loretta to share's character and you know he he doesn't get on a knee which she has him do and i think that scene's really cute it's pretty funny he gets like on both knees and like shuffles over to her it's pretty funny but like he doesn't have a ring you know even though like he had prepared to do this because he had talked to the waiter uh bobo i think is is his name you know to like prepare like champagne and stuff like that so like he knew he was gonna do it but he's got no ring. He's got no like thought process to how he wants to, to get it done. Right. And then he's boom off to Sicily to see his dying mother. He just feels very like aloof, aloof. Yeah. That's the word. I'd agree. Yeah. And uh, I mean, yeah. And, and he like calls out for dessert, like the dessert tray, which doesn't end up actually meaning anything. I thought maybe there's going to be a ring in one of the desserts or something. Right. Yes, me too. But then that doesn't actually mean anything. One thing, one other bigger, broader thing I want to touch on too will probably come into play throughout our discussion here is that this isn't just a romantic comedy uh this is actually like more specific than that an italian romantic comedy because they like go really really heavy 
on Italian stereo, what I perceive as Italian stereotypes, and maybe they're not stereotypes. Maybe it's just like a thing that is well known that all Italians do, or most Italian. I don't know. But like the talking with the hands is really big. The amount of Italian like names, Castorini, Camareri, uh, you know, Capomaggi, uh, you know, there's so many. Just like everybody is very Italian in this movie. Yeah, um, the, the talking with hands thing is a very Northeastern trait too. Like my family really has that trait. Like I've toned it down. I've worked really hard to tone it down over the years. So that's a very New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia kind of thing. Um, but I've also seen it as an Italian stereotype. Yeah. So it's probably kind of doubled up in this. Well, her dad, Cosmo, is like the quintessential kind of Italian dad figure in a movie like this. Yeah, you know, I made it. I made it because my, my wife's Italian, and I made a joke to her because she didn't get to watch it with me. And I came upstairs and I was talking to her about it. I was like, I don't know, this might be the most Italian movie I've ever seen. I mean, yes, yeah, <laughs> and honestly, it makes me wonder if like Italian people would like this movie, like enjoy this movie even more than we did, or if they would actually like find fault with it that it like fell into stereotypes so much. It's, I don't I mean, know. It's a good question. I'm I'm pretty sure Ray liked it, so we didn't go into too much detail, but. You know. I thought you said she didn't watch it. She didn't watch it with me this time, but she'd seen it before. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, it, and I you kind of touched on this, but my next note was uh this guy doesn't know how proposals work. <laughs> no, like, no, no idea. He he had to tell her to get or she had to tell him to like where's the ring? And then she had to ask him to get down on a knee. Like though to be fair, so Nick Cage's character's name is Ronnie, Johnny's brother. Yeah, um, exactly. He proposes the same which, way. That all, everything feels like a joke in this movie. Yeah. Like everything's a joke, everything. which is fine. I just wasn't expecting it. But like he proposes the same way. He doesn't get down on one knee. He, t- he takes his brother's pinky ring <laughs> to, to propose. But at least she doesn't have to prompt him for that. No, you know, that's true. But she doesn't even prompt him to get on his knees. He just stands there. Right. But I'm saying that she had to prompt Johnny to get on the knee and to get the ring. But she did not have to prompt Ronnie to get the ring. That's true. That's true. But yes, the, he didn't get on a knee either. Um, my next note is she's very thoughtful. I was something that yeah. that was a theme throughout this whole movie. It felt a little out of place with like the comedy aspects of the movie, but she's just a very thoughtful character in like, you know, a, a, a super real feeling way. Like everybody feels like, at least when I watch this movie, it made me go, man, I, I wish everybody could have somebody like that in their life because she's like, she cares about like to, your medication and like, uh, the food you're eating and not to eat this food because you're going to get on a plane and like to wear this hat because your head gets cold you know she knows your head gets cold and like oh you know there's just so many like little things that she does it just makes her super thoughtful and just it makes I think it does a really good job of making you like her and making you root make you root for her even though based on the things that happen in this movie she's not that great of a person either she's kind of crappy like <laughs> like in uh it could happen to you mm-hmm. and some of these mm-hmm. other ones um well that's the thing does, like, that that is it does make her a better character i think she's she's a great character she is she's very thoughtful she gets people i think that's one of the key pieces is she really is good at understanding the people she's interacting with and knowing where they're coming from um, yeah which i guess she's very empathic probably would be the appropriate yes. way to phrase that and to that other point about like crappy characters like really just rose which uh, loretta's mother um played by olympia dukakis who's probably my favorite character in the movie um but aside from rose and then uh the the grandfather 
um, who I can't remember his name. I think he's just like, he's credited as old the guy man. that's walking the dog. Yeah, the dog guy. Yeah. Like everybody else is crappy except those two. They're like the only two decent people in the movie. <laughs> I swear this is a running theme in like almost all of the Nick Cage movies we've reviewed is that almost everybody in the movie is just a giant turd. They'll, okay, I guess her aunt and uncle are totally fine. They don't do anything. The main characters, I yeah. should say, in a lot of these movies. But, I guess Family Man, not everybody was a jerk in that movie, but there were. There's a lot of jerks few. in these movies. But like yeah. in the core, right? Like Cosmo, her dad is like trash in this movie. Throughout most of the movie, he's kind of just a jerk right yeah. like you know and later we find out that he's you know cheating on his wife and everything like that which makes it even worse but he's like been a jerk the whole time yeah you know and then you've got the whole johnny and ronnie thing and loretta's involved in that and it's just a weird triangle thing and the whole movie only takes place over like four days i know it's it's a very short time period yeah right because you've got day one is you know the the proposal on the flight day two yeah. is the phone call where she forgot to go uh, call ronnie so she goes and sees ronnie she and then you know she spends the night with him then there's yeah. the opera she spends the night again and then johnny's home that's it that's the whole yeah. movie in four days the whole movie four days so my next note okay so after the proposal we you just touched on this they go to the airport because johnny's leaving to go visit his dying mother um and then this there's out of the blue there's a scene <laughs> with this old lady where she's like i put a curse on that plane it's going to crash into the atlantic and like <laughs> she goes on for like a minute and a half about this curse and like her sister that she did on her husband like she did with her husband on her or something like no, that he, her sister stole a man that she was interested in and then confided in her years and years later that she never actually loved him and just wanted to screw with her sister yeah and so she cursed this plane uh -huh. to crash over the ocean and then <laughs> Cher's character is like i don't believe in curses and, and the old lady's like oh okay and then that's so the she end goes of the me scene. neither <laughs> yeah it was what? just such a, what is happening it was so, it was so out of place and this isn't the only scene like that but that was probably my favorite of all the completely out of place scenes because it was just so ridiculous the big problem with that for me was i just kept expecting the very next scene to be him crashing share learning that he's dead yeah. i just kept waiting for that to happen like you know, i knew it wasn't going to be immediate right because this is 1987 but like i just kept waiting for like a news thing to come on or like someone to show up at the front door you know and it never happened right my next note is lots of hand talking, but we've already covered he that. Did, yeah. Um, my next note is why is his brother not concerned with their dying mother? Because they have a bad relationship. He said so. He says that later in the movie. Yeah, but that's why. But like at this point, you're like, why is this brother that so I hadn't watched the rest of the movie when I made this note? Oh, I see. Okay. It just didn't make any sense yeah. to me that one brother would be flying out to visit his dying mother but the other brother seems completely unconcerned with it ronnie's a bit of an um, outcast yeah something like that um sweaty tank top cage is best cage right and, i mean i think between this and con air and there's probably some other ones that we'll get to as we watch all these movies but uh, his hair is I definitely Connor. I, it is as good. I did like his hair a lot in this movie. It was just like a little bit out of control. Yeah. yeah. You know, just enough to make him sexy. But like the, the way he's like down there in that kitchen, because he's so he bakes at a bakery, right? He's making bread. Yeah. And in a dungeon, basically. Yeah. It's underground. So, fun fact that's a real place. 
Um, and it's, there's a still a restaurant and there's a different restaurant now. And those ovens are still in use because they're too big and expensive to move out of the that's building. Crazy. So they're still being used. But that scene, like if that was a modern movie, that's like his Tony Stark in a cave Iron Man scene. Right, exactly. <laughs> there's a lot of similarities in that scene, except one's making bread and one's pounding iron. Exactly. But, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so then we get what might be my favorite introduction to any cage character of any movie we've watched so far okay well it does come a half an hour into the movie sure but it's worth the wait (laughs) i lost my hand i lost my bride yeah that i mean okay so one thing i was 100 percent not expecting (laughs) in this movie was nick cage with a wooden hand I was like, was this before or after Happy Gilmore? Like, I knew it was before, but it was, it, I mean, I just was blindsided by the fact that it, this is where it, I started realizing this is, must just be like basically a straight up comedy. It had is to that be. It right? was so ridiculous that the reason he's estranged from his brother is because he turned to look at his brother and his hand got caught in a bread slicer yep. and he lost his hand. Yep. And that his bride left him because of his hand. Yep. It felt to me like that, that type of whole premise, that whole writing is like, okay, so he is Ronnie and Johnny, they're going to have bad blood between each other. Oh, okay, cool. That sounds great. What, what's the bad blood? Eh, we'll figure it out later. What's the most Italian place he could work? Oh, a bread factory there, pizzeria or something like that. Oh, okay. Well, what if he cuts his hand off with a machinery there? Oh, perfect. Perfect. You know what I mean? Like, and the and I'll get to I think I have another note about this later, but like he makes it seem like he's embarrassed of this wooden hand, like he tries to hide it mm-hmm. a lot of the time. But then he like he like does subtle things that just make it seem like he's not actually that embarrassed of it. Like he's talking to Cher, whom he only just met, and he like starts wiping his face, like scratching his face with his wooden hand. Oh, when they're Why back up in his apartment. His, yeah, why why wouldn't he just use his real hand to do that? I, I, if he's so embarrassed of his wooden I hand. I think he's just messing like, with her. I don't know if it was messing with her or messing with the audience. I feel like that was Nick Cage like trying to be funny without like indirectly being funny. You but know, it's I such mean, a weird scene because like they go up to so his apartment. Weird. He lives above the restaurant. He lives above the bakery. And she just starts making a mistake. yeah he's like what's that that was weird what's that smell i'm making you a steak i feel like that was an italian thing because isn't there like a stereotype about italian women wanting to always keep the men fed or something like that i don't know i mean or like cooking like everybody have jokes about that with grandmas yeah i don't know maybe i I, maybe i'm getting confused across all these things but uh if i if i say too much about it i feel like i'm gonna like look really bad to any italians <laughs> that are listening so i'm sorry about that i'm, I'm not insensitive i'm just dumb that whole scene's just so odd though because you know he, he doesn't want it and she's like well you're gonna have it he's like well i like it well done she's like too bad <laughs> too bad you're getting it bloody and it's like okay and then he's like it's real good <laughs> he's eating it yeah. also his accent in this like it kind of came and went you could tell this was like fairly early case yeah yeah um and maybe that was part of the character. I don't know, but his accent just kind of came and went. But when he was into it, he was into it. And well, I swear that monologue that he had was one of my favorite things ever. I've replayed it in my head, literally. I just watched this movie last night. And I've been replaying that in my head for the past 24 hours because I loved it so much. I'm glad because that scene 
in the bait in the in the, the the bakery got them in trouble because they couldn't get it they had a really hard time getting that scene and the timing and the blocking and all of that so much so that they ended up getting fined by the actors guild because they were working too many hours and skipping lunch and stuff like that to get this scene down wow yeah they even pulled the cameras and just started rehearsing it like if as if it was like a stage performance and uh, the director, uh, Norman, was just like, I'm going to I'll bring the cameras in when, when they get it right. And I'll just fit the cameras wherever they can fit because they just couldn't. Do get you the agree? Scene. You haven't said much about this scene. So I, I, mean, I thought it was interesting. I, I was too thrown off by how ridiculous the story was because I was like, tr- like, I was excited to find out, like, what's this bad blood? Right. Like, what did Johnny do? Right. This is where we learn that Johnny's like a bad guy and Cher falls in love, you know, with with his brother. But then we find out that like Johnny didn't really do anything at all. And Ronnie is just kind of (laughs) nuts. And so like, I was too distracted, I think by the practicality of the story over his performance. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. That's disappointing. But I love the the scene like directly after it, where they're in his apartment and they're having the steak conversation, and then you know, and then he flips over the table, and then he kisses her, and she says, "No, no wait," and then she kisses him. And then, you know. Wow, <laughs> it was just it was a little it was it was a fun little ride, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I preferred the scene before that, but that was a great scene as well. <laughs> um, my uh, we covered both of my next like two or three notes uh but my next note is birds flying to the stars right which is a reference to so the dad loretta's dad mm-hmm. is Cosmo. cheating on her mom uh-huh. with this random woman that we don't really get a lot of character development mona. for but mona is her name mona he, and he gives her this charm bracelet that she's just in love with and i thought was pretty dumb but then he said it's it got a bunch of stars and birds on it and the birds are flying to the stars and she basically like gets all teary-eyed with how beautiful that is even though it makes no sense to me i don't understand what the okay good I don't know. or not good i don't know i had the same reaction i thought it must be like a metaphor i just didn't connect with no because so... birds flying to the stars would just die you would think so no they would they, they, they would have to get through the atmosphere they're special I mean, birds no there's no birds that are special <laughs> enough to do that um <laughs> who could resist that accent is my next note so there you go talking about nick cage's accent again yeah. how wonderful it was um looks like a giant snowball i don't oh this the moon they're talking about so this whole movie is based around the idea that like a moon like a huge moon shows up when two people fall in love or something like that i didn't really understand the whole gist of it i felt like it was the other way around like the moon is what helps cause the connection between the people right because like her aunt and uncle start getting frisky because of it and there's this whole story about right but then uh, loretta and uh uh nick cage they get they get down and freaky and like have this connection before the moon shows up so yeah i mean that's true so I, I guess it's not really clear, very clear yeah. in the movie exactly what the movie does, but it's important. It's in the title and in the opening song and in uh, the closing song. And well, and it's referenced that. a few times because like her uncle talks about how um, that's, you know, Cosmo and Cosmo was first, you know, with Rose and he was in, you know, truly in love with her. There was this big moon and the uncle was super confused about the whole thing. And it's this really weird story where Cosmo's like, you must've been sleeping. And I, my first thought was like, you're being a jerk, but yeah, I mean, that sound, that story sounds ridiculous. Maybe he was dreaming. <laughs> and then 
we get the we get the moon again cosmos moon is what he calls it yeah and somebody somebody says it looks like a giant snowball i don't really remember who yeah i don't know but it was just a funny funny line i think it was the uncle probably uh and then my next note is big hair because this is the 80s and there's big hair everywhere oh, oh that was when she was getting her makeover and her hair went from frumpy to fabulous or whatever the tagline said on hbo well because like so so she she sleeps with ronnie she spends the yes. night with ronnie which you know 1987 she's still living with her family she's you know a widow and like so you know normally she'd be home and so she sleeps with this dude she's not she's engaged to her to his brother and he says that he'll agree to never speak to her again and he won't go to the wedding to cause a scene as long as he can have his two loves at the same time. Her and the opera. <laughs> Which seems weird for his character. It's like completely opposite of what you would expect him to like love motorcycles or something. It was so like out of but left instead, field. it's like the opera. And I was like, okay, and well. She had never been to the opera? She had never been, no. But I was like, okay, well, I guess that explains the music at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> I guess. I mean, I think they just wanted to use the song that had the word moon in the title. And that was, I mean, maybe. you know, Italian. I did like how, like, so, she, you know, she's very New York. She's extremely New York. And she has to, like, ask where the Met is. Now, look, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a New Yorker. Not really, anyway. My mom's from the Bronx. But, like, I'm not a New Yorker. I feel like you could find the Met if you'd lived there your whole life. Because she's 30, she's 37. She says so in the movie. Yeah. You know? But yeah, so she she goes to the salon and she's going to get the gray taken out of her hair and she's going to get her nails done and all this other stuff. You know, and she goes from, yeah, the frumpy, which I mean, it's it Cher. So she looks good, like always, <laughs> you know, and then she, you know, she gets through the whole the montage, the makeup montage. Yeah. Which every 80s movie had, basically, especially every 80s romantic comedy. She got, she's turning guys heads on the street. So just warning, at least half the notes that are coming up here are basically talking about how much I love Nick Cage's performance in this. So whatever, this is a Nick Cage podcast, so I feel like that's <laughs> to be expected. But my next note is he's over the top ridiculous in this, and I love it. I, Every scene he's in is just so, like, it feels like it belongs in a different movie. It, it, that's and interesting. And it was great. It was really nice. I loved seeing him in the tux and the jacket and everything. Oh, yeah. Know, waiting just for... standing there with his gloved wooden <laughs> Well, and there's that moment, right, where they're they're like 20 feet from each other. They keep looking the yeah, opposite way. Yeah, they can't, find, they each can't other. find each other. I'm like, this is... He's literally looking right at her. I'm like, are they really doing this? Are they going to miss each other? And he's going to think she rejected him or something like that? I do want to say, I think that that fountain that they show that they're like meeting at, I'm not for sure on it, but it did look an awful lot like the fountain that uh, Dana Barrett and Peter Venkman talk uh when he does like the weird dancey thing and he's wearing like oh. the orange and he calls the guy what, what he calls the guy a name the, the date oh who's the stiff or something like that Yeah, the trumpet player um, yeah it looks like uh that i think is the same place i, I could be wrong maybe everything in new york looks the same but that particular area looked very familiar to me i think that's where it was from i don't know somebody will correct me on twitter i'm sure if they listen to this but okay we would we would need listeners first yeah that's true <laughs> all three of you if that's not true then please Tweet at Derek, not me. Um, duplicate dinner scene. It's literally almost a beat for beat repeat of the dinner. So you, you saw, saw the we saw the dinner with the uh, dad from Seinfeld or whatever, or not Seinfeld, Frazier. Uh, Frazier. Um, 
we saw that earlier and then there's an almost beat for beat this exact same scene oh when when rose lays out by herself right yes and it's almost the exact same scene except in this one uh rose is like maybe you need an older lady to show you the ropes or something like she that she doesn't and, say that she just i don't know it's something like she, that she makes the the exact same comment that loretta makes which is that the girl is too young for him they both make the same comment i think it's supposed to show you know this kind of connection between loretta and rose and about how they're sensible people and, and that kind of thing and rose is by herself at this point she's pretty confident that her husband is cheating on her right and she goes out for dinner on her own to this restaurant and witnesses this dude get i guess water thrown in his face for the second time and during the movie and in, in two, in yeah, two and days asked for a big glass of vodka from bobo because apparently everybody knows bobo everybody knows bobo if I was Bobo, uh, I'd tell the dude, can you stop bringing in your students? Because that gets creepy, yeah. right? We find out that he's a professor. That's my next note. Teacher dating students is gross. Yeah, it's bad. Like He explains it. He goes on this big monologue to try and justify why it's okay. And like, I mean, I know like it's not 1987 anymore, but I just can't imagine that that was like an okay thing back then either. <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's right. just bad. And Rose is just sitting there and listening to it. And she's kind of a, sarca- a dry, sarcastic character throughout the, the majority of the film and this dude's just nuts he's totally off his rocker like yeah you'd be teaching this class for 30 years or whatever and you're bored okay don't teach it anymore man if the only thing that gets you through teaching the class is to sleep with your students i, I think you need to stop teaching yeah seems fair yeah uh another nick cage uh petting his hair uh note here uh they really let him chew the fat in this movie <laughs> just another reference to how much i love this performance in this movie i don't know that we need to go beyond that well because what's happening i don't really know what scene that is at that point probably when they're but... at the opera right because like what's happening all oh, at the yes. same time is rose is at this dinner by herself where she ends up talking to the professor guy at the same time ronnie and loretta are at the opera and guess who else is at the opera cosmo and mona right and you have a moment where ronnie and cosmo are in line to get drinks together but they don't know each other yet you know so you think that's going to be when it all comes unraveling but it doesn't happen until the end of the opera and loretta and cosmo have a little thing you know well you're married well you're engaged well what are you doing here well what are you doing here and they're both just we're both crappy people right they're both like all right forget it (laughs) uh I already touched on this earlier, but he's supposedly embarrassed of this hand, but keeps using it in obvious ways. But we already covered that. It's yeah, just, it was just funny to I me. I don't think he's embarrassed. I think he's mad about it, right? He's mad at his brother because he he's not happy. He's constantly trying to hide it through the movie, except in like really specific circumstances. He puts a glove over it at the opera. Maybe it's so he didn't have to wear the prosthetic as much. Um, but I mean, he's still wearing the prosthetic under the glove. I mean, I get, can you tell? Yes, the hand looked huge. Okay. I didn't take that close. Did you not notice that? I thought that was hilarious. I didn't really That's look that closely at the hand. Once I knew it was a prosthetic hand, I, I guess I kind of stopped focusing on no. it. Fair enough. You know, but uh, uh, yeah. yeah. I don't think he's embarrassed. I think the problem is like, his he, he thinks his life sucks. Now we, we know very little about it. He's got his own place. He's got a consistent job. That's all we really know about him. We don't know anything else. And so he's just mad that his hand got mauled and his wife left him and he doesn't know who to blame. Right. So he blames his brother. 
Uh, so next we have the awkward family breakfast. God, that was awkward. So Johnny comes home, I guess before this, Johnny comes home looking for Loretta and she's out at the opera with, uh, Johnny. Well, right. So Ro- Ronnie, no, Ronnie Rose gets walked home by the professor. Okay. His name's Perry. And he's like trying to get with her. Like he knows she's married. You know, and he's still trying to get with her. He keeps talking about how cold he is. And there's, you know, he's like, is any, you know, anybody home kind of thing? And she's not having it, right? Because she knows who she is. She even has that line about it. Like, she's basically, he is her entertainment for the evening. She has no interest in him. She's not going to be, you know, breaking any of her, you know, her vows or anything like that. But then she gets home and yes, Johnny shows up. He's back. We get to see him land at the airport and he forgets his luggage like three different times, which, you know, like shows like just how much of like an aloof putz he really is. Yeah. And um, he, yeah, he's back. His mother, she's recovered. It's a miracle. Right. And so he goes back looking for her. She's not there. So then he'll, so he'll come back tomorrow. So then the next morning they have the breakfast. Uh, they have a family breakfast after Cosmo and Loretta found out about each other Mm -hmm. and everybody's down there. And then uh, Ronnie shows up. Oh, oh. And the old man, the grandfather saw Rose walking with this other dude. They kind of exchange. It's just awkward all around, all around. Everything's awkward. And then Ronnie comes over and that makes it even more awkward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then Johnny comes over. Well, the aunt and uncle show up. So it's like yeah, this the full aunt, table. Yeah, the aunt and uncle show up. I thought it was interesting that none of the men offered the aunt a seat. So she's the only one standing while everyone's sitting around eating breakfast. I think that was kind of purposeful to just kind of show that they're not really, they don't care that much or that they're just aloof like uh, like Johnny yeah, is. Yeah. Um, my next note is she didn't make him kneel. So he, Johnny shows up. And they go through this whole thing and Johnny says, well, I can't marry you because my mom's going to live. Well, no. So, okay. So this part is the only part of the movie that like just logically doesn't work for me. And it's, so he comes in and he's talking about how once he said he was engaged, you know, she had this miraculous recovery. Great. That's awesome. So he can't marry her because then she'll die. What? Right. That doesn't make sense. It's, it's a superstition thing. I, I got that. I got, but, but, I, he was being as kind of like numb as he or not numb but aloof like you said he has like these superstitions about what will happen if everything like but if, if the engagement brought her back to health why would going through with the engagement to marriage be a bad thing because of uh loretta's bad luck maybe i don't know I don't know. I, that, it didn't really was... make a lot of sense to me either okay. it just seemed like a convenient way for them <laughs> to make it so that they're no longer engaged and they only had 20 minutes left in the movie. They were That's trying true. to get rid of it. We gotta wrap this up, guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, it would have been easier to have this plane crash into the Atlantic Ocean or whatever ocean they said they cursed Atlantic, her to yeah. fly into. But yeah. That, that's not how it works. So whatever. So the engagement's off for about three seconds, maybe less. And then they're engaged again, <laughs> Ronnie and her, her, her and Loretta. So yeah. And it was fine. She he took the pinky ring from his brother again to put on her finger, which was hilarious. Not Neil. They haven't spoken in five years. You know, he's like, "Give me your pinky ring." <laughs> uh, but what I did, I will say about Johnny is he really wanted to reconnect with his brother. It was not, and it was. It seemed like I did feel for him. He, you know, as somebody who has a really weird relationship with their brothers, I had that. I, I had some sympathy for him in that it was something that wasn't his fault mm-hmm. that he was 
his brother was blaming him for and all he wanted to do is reconnect with his brother even though his brother's literally engaged like getting proposed to the woman that he was going to marry he still wants to be close to his brother right yeah and he gets to be part of all the family stuff because you know that's just how it works right you're in the family now but yeah i mean i think you're right like other other than that one line during the dinner that is not cool other than that he's not a bad he doesn't show himself to be a bad person at any other point yeah you know and i mean really that line i'm not trying to justify anything but in 1987 people thought a lot differently and I'm not saying that makes it okay to say that line, but that line was not nearly as probably frowned upon in 1987 as it is today. You know, we are a different world today than we were in 1987. I, I yeah. still think it's crappy. I mean, and it doesn't make it less crappy, but it was more of an acceptable thing to say back then. So back then, it may not have made him as bad of a person as hearing that from somebody today would. I, I honestly think that by the end of the movie, I think that line is meant as a tool to show how Loretta just has kind of given up yeah right because that's not who she is she's not someone to be controlled or anything like that you know she's an intelligent thoughtful you know person and so i think she had just resigned herself and that was supposed to be a hint of that but we didn't have enough context yet for that to work because it's at the beginning of the movie Um, but there is one bit that happens at this breakfast though that i don't want to to miss and it's when rose just looks across the table at her husband and just without saying like no no for other conversation no other context just i want you to stop seeing her right and all like that's the communication you know? yeah and cosmo he stands up and hits the table for some reason he sits back down and goes okay <laughs> and just- oh i think it's i think it's uh i don't think it's for some reason i think it's it like it was how somebody should would react i mean I feel like I've never cheated on anybody, so I can't say for sure, but I feel like the first instinct for somebody who's been caught doing something like that is to be angry and like defensive. And so I think he, that was like his, his like split second reaction was like this fight reaction. And then he like had a second to think about it because he doesn't say anything for a, a short bit. Right. Mm-hmm. And then he sits back down and, and says, okay, because I think that, you know, he took it took him that his first instinct was to be aggressive about it and fight back and, you know, but then it was, okay, I just need to, you know, yeah say this and be done. So I think there was a good reason for that. And I actually liked that the way they handled that because that I feel is somewhat realistic as to somebody that's been married to somebody for that long and knows them that well. It was, it was just a really cool communication and Olympia Dukakis plays Rose and she's just so good in this movie. And it should be noted, by the way, that both Olympia Dukakis and Cher won uh, Best Supporting Actress and Best Support, uh, Best Supporting Actress and Best Actress, respectively, for this movie um, at both the Academy Awards and I also think the Golden Globes. So like they were very well recognized for this and she just, Olympia was fantastic. I loved that Rose character throughout the movie. She was just this really smart and dry, witty, kind of sarcastic character that I just kept, like, I was glad every time she was in a scene. Um, yeah. So. I mean, she wasn't my favorite character. Ronnie obviously was. But I know, she yeah. was a good. She was a good character, too. Yeah. Um, so I just said she didn't make him kneel. Yeah. That's for you know she maybe it's growth of her character that she doesn't need that she really loves him 
Yeah. Right. Cause it's, it's brought up earlier that like, you know, his uh, Rose asks Loretta, like, do you love, do you love Johnny? And she goes, no. She's like, well, you like him? Oh yeah. I like him a lot. And then at the end, you know, Rose asks, do you love, do you love Ronnie? And Loretta's like, you know, yes. You know? And so I think that's the difference, right? She's not resigning anymore. She loves Ronnie. So she's marrying a man she loves. Right. Uh, so yeah, I said I, my, my next to the last note says perfect Italian love story. <laughs> uh, so maybe? take that for what it is. Sure. I'm know. not Italian. I just feel like that's the case. Um, and then we get this weird scene where a camera zooms in on this portrait of two people. Yep. And maybe I'm completely off on this, but I have no fucking clue who those people are. <laughs> no, the, the, there's zero context. Nobody has, like, we have no idea who any of these people are. I assume that it's like maybe Loretta's like great grandparents or something like that. Right. But there's no context None. in any other part of the movie that would say that or why it's relevant. So, yeah, that's how the movie ends. And I think this is like the fifth or sixth of a Nick Cage movies that we've watched where I've literally gone, what the fuck was that at the very end of the movie <laughs> based on the last scene and the way right? it ended. Now, supposedly those photographs are actually Cher's family photos for what that's Which worth. is a fun fact, but, but yeah. it doesn't, and the, the context of the movie doesn't really. Even knowing that doesn't do help anything. make the scene make any more sense. Like it's just, here's some photos of random people we, we have not shown you. Yeah, it's very weird right and then it's over yeah i agree and then we get some, that's it we get the credits that have a couple of photo you know photos show up from time to time and johnny is with the family so he gets his happy reunion with his brother and then we get the after credit scene where uh ronnie puts on the infinity gauntlet <laughs> jesus and says i'll do it myself of course yeah yeah, so. I mean, I can't believe they recast him with Josh Brolin. It's just I know ridiculous. it was weird, but hey, I, you know, got to do it. I guess got to do what you got to do. Yeah. Make people happy. Anyway, there, that's not a real thing. No, so. But that's that's but the movie. That's the movie. Um, one more fun fact about the movie is that it is uh, one and our first of four Nicolas Cage movies that are in the Criterion Collection which is kind of a big deal. There are not a lot of movies that make it to that level. His other three movies are Rumblefish, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and The Rock. So obviously, you know, we've both seen The Rock, uh, yeah. you know. But uh, yeah, so there you go. This is obviously a highly regarded film overall. Your point earlier about IMDb, I feel like movies that came out pre-IMDb's existence get like this exaggerated rating where they're either over overscored or underscored pretty heavily because people are thinking about them like out of the moment you know they're yeah. like oh I, I saw moonstruck 20 years ago i loved that movie or that movie you know i saw the trailer for it it looked like trash right like that kind of thing and that affects those ratings so it's kind of hard to take them seriously unless the movie is more recent yeah that's fair so i guess we gotta rate this thing huh yeah yeah we gotta rate it so for those who follow the show uh who or who may not know just a quick recap we give every movie two different scores we have a 20 point scale so zero through 20 zero being the low end 20 being the high end and we rate the movies on overall quality of film so 20 being the greatest movie ever made zero being trash and then caginess 
of a film 20 being the cagiest movie possible and zero being the least cagey movie you could imagine and so that's how we rate these and then we post our big cageo meter out on social media that you can see our little um what do you call it splatter plot or whatever it's called Sc- scatter, scatter plot. plot splatter plot whatever of all of the movies so ryan let's do this quality how would you rate the overall quality of moonstruck i mean it was it's tough because there's a lot of random crap in there that's just like why is this in the movie but then you know when take you take it as a whole uh and you real like come to realize that this is a comedy first and foremost Mm -hmm. i think that makes it a better movie having all that random stuff in there it wasn't something that's been done much since then or like i mean i think i feel like it might be a stretch to compare it to like uh naked gun movies interesting it's maybe it's not as extreme as naked gun movies but in the sense that like this unexpected thing happens there were so many times where i just started laughing i was like what the fuck just like yeah the first time he holds up his wooden hand and it's like what yeah and then he explains what like i mean i don't know it's just so out of the blue i feel like it's got to be like a 16 or a 17 for me well, which, which is it, it was really good i really enjoyed it i don't know what's yours well, no, you, i want to hear i want to hear your number 16 or 17 no, it's somewhere in there what's yours well, <laughs> well, well uh, maybe i'll be able to solidify a number hearing what you thought all right well overall. i i really liked it too it's a good movie it's fun it's certainly different than what i normally watch they don't make movies like this really anymore they try once in a blue moon but they tend to be you know holiday focused you know it's some type of christmas movie or something like that Um, So I really did like it. I don't want to put it at like the top echelon of the movies that we've discussed so far. So I was going to give it a 14. Wow. Way lower than me. I mean, not way lower. It puts it, you know, it puts it above. It could happen to you. It puts it above the family man, um, you know, by a couple of points. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I definitely enjoyed this more than I enjoyed both of those movies. Um. So I'll say a 16. I think 17 might be a little high, but okay. 16. So that puts it at a 15 average. Now, what about caginess? This one's a little bit harder for me. So this one's way up there, man. But like he's not in it a lot. No, but every scene he's in is so over the top. That's true. That's true. So I'm having a hard time knowing how to gauge it because. Well, we don't have like rules written for that. We don't. We don't. But like, it's just hard when you think about a, like the movies that we ha- that we've given high KG ratings to, like, you know, obviously, um, you know, the unbearable weight of massive talent or, um, you know, uh, oh, Mandy, for, for example, those are very KG. Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, very KG. But, you know, he's just not in it as much. And so it's just hard to compare. So for me, I try and take it as like a percentage. So like, if if he's in 50% of the movie and within that time he's in there a hundred percent of the time he's he's being full cage then that's a high caginess to me yeah even if he's not in the movie that much the amount of time he's in there he's very cagey it's his okay. performance how how cagey is his performance whether or not it's you know a lot of lines are one line right so based on um, his and maybe that's time. different for you no, I but think for that, me that's what it is I think that's fair to base it off of his screen time right because yeah, our that. whole podcast is based on nick cage it's not about 
that's fair. It is about the movies, but it's more about his performance in the movies. No, I, I think that's a fair way to look at it. So, what would you give his caginess? No, I answered first last time, so I think oh, it's your turn. Oh, man. All right, all right. So, yeah, I mean, there's some great moments in here, right? Like, I, it's obviously his apartment scene that you love. I really love that apartment scene. There's obviously the bread baking scene. There's the proposal, you know, at the end, like when he's asking his brother for the pinky ring, it's just hilarious to me. I, it was great. I laugh. The I, opera. The opera is great. He looked like he looks, looks so good in the tux and everything. And um, the way they're just kind of talking after and like the speech he gives her, like, so after the opera, when she wants to go home and it's cold and he's trying to convince her to come up with them. And just the, the way he, he does that speech, like, it's just, I don't know. Honestly, all of his like monologues in this are pretty dang good. good. Like, yeah, I mean he he's over the top with yeah. it, but it's it's I, I bought it. Like it was it was good. It had some actual substance. It was kind of wild, you know. The message had substance. Or like you know, after the first night that they're together, and she goes in the closet to get dressed, and he kind of keeps like opening the closet, like "What are you doing?" Like, and I, I appreciated like that perspective of like, "Come on, like we're here, right? <laughs> like this happened. Yeah, we can't just pretend it didn't happen." Um. So, you know, I'm, I'm beating around the bush a bit to kind of like think, think oh, this I know. through. You're stalling. I'm stalling a little bit. I'm having a hard time. I think I want to put it at. <sighs> Just know that the world is not going to end. It's going to continue to, to I, you know, I, revolve around its axis. No, I know. I think I'm going to get. No matter what you put it. I on. think I'm also going to give it a 14 because I think, you know, I rated movies like uh, Leaving Las Vegas higher, uh, Mandy unbearable weight those are higher on the caginess scale and i think this is a little more subdued than those <laughs> really i do okay you, you think this was this was less so than than mandy or leaving las vegas i mean less so than mandy maybe but i don't think it was less than leaving las vegas literally every scene he's in in this movie he's like going full blast and he wasn't in leaving las vegas you think I mean, I, maybe I'm remembering leaving Las Vegas wrong, but he, I mean, he, he did a lot of KG stuff in that movie, but it was not like all of his screen time. There was some serious scenes in that movie. Well, the, these scenes are serious too. I mean, they are, but they're done with like this over the top thespian, like. Well, that's true. You know what so I mean? What, so what are you going to give it then? I'm going to put it at like a 17. A 17? Yeah, it was really KG, man. Literally everything he did in this movie was like okay. full blast all right all right and if you're putting it at 14 that's fine we're gonna average it out anyway right yeah. so yeah yeah not a problem but that's still gonna put it pretty high it does put it pretty high yeah so there so there you go so what would that be then uh 15 and a half so there you go 15 on quality 15 and a half on caginess if you want to see where that lands on the cage meter go to comingofcage.com follow us on social media at coming of cage to find that out now of course we have to figure out which cage movie is going to end up joining the wheel o cage now that moonstruck is off the list so let's go ahead and enter it into our big machine and randomly select from that and it's dog eat dog dog eat dog joins the wheel o cage if you want to find out what movie we're going to review next you got to go watch us spin the wheel o cage and pick that movie ryan anything else for moonstruck no, I think I covered it. I really liked this movie. It was a lot of fun. It was. It was a lot of fun. It was different. I'm glad we watched it. And we will be back in a couple of weeks with another Nick Cage movie. Follow us. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for watching. I lost my hand. <laughs>